We're going to share a few Passover songs with you before we get started with our Seder tonight. So just sit back, relax, and enjoy.
Marvelous, okay. Uh, yeah. I would, uh, there's no test for you at the end. You've been tested enough already. Uh, that wilderness was enough for any of us. And so we want to understand uh, a little bit of what we're doing here tonight. Uh, when I, uh, as a, I grew up in an Orthodox Jewish home in New York. Uh, and fought against the very idea of uh, this, this Messiah as such. Uh, what they were calling Jesus the Messiah. I fought against that for quite a long time. Uh, until I finally came to realize that the facts of Scripture uh, were on their side. I, I, I hated that idea. Uh, but nonetheless, I finally came to faith in the Messiah. And after I came to faith in him, because of what the Tanakh, the Hebrew Scriptures teach, when I came to faith in him, I, for the first time, read uh, the Brit Hadashah, uh, the New Covenant, what's called the New Testament in many circles. The first time I read it was after I came to faith. And when I read the New Covenant, I was shocked to find out what a Jewish book is. I couldn't believe it. And the second shock I had was, how come some of these Christians don't know they're reading this Jewish book? Don't they understand any of this? And so I was really surprised by the whole matter. And so our Seder to this evening uh, is really built upon the fact that the New Covenant is a Jewish book, an extension and fulfillment of the Tanakh, the Hebrew Scriptures. And so we want to see it in that light. And so please open up, if you will, your Haggadah. Um, and... Uh, Hold on a second. It's somewhere there. Uh, open up your Haggadah, if you will. Turn, if you will, to page uh, four. Page four. In page four, I want you to notice uh, we're going to be reading together out loud. We'll be reading uh, from the New Covenant writings from Luke chapter 22, verse 7 through 13. We'll be reading that out loud in unison and together. Are you all ready? Okay, here we go. Then came the day of unleavened bread, when the Passover must be killed. And he sent Peter and John, saying, Go and prepare the Passover for us, that we may eat it. So they said to him, Where do you want us to prepare? And he said to them, Behold, when you have entered the city, a man will meet you carrying a pitcher of water. Follow him into the house that he enters. Then you shall say to the master of the house, The teacher says to you, Where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? Then he will show you a large furnished upper room. There we make ready. So they went and found it just as he had said to them. And they prepared the Passover. Isn't it interesting how often the Messiah teaches his Talmudim, his disciples, then and now, of the matter of preparation? See how often the word prepared is repeated in that section of scripture? And so there's a lesson for us even before we get started here. And the lesson is simply this. You're not going to have any better participation 
then you have preparation. And so we want to open with some prayer. Offering to the Lord, the offering to Adonai, the upper room of our souls that he might prepare us as we anticipate participating in his Passover. Let's pray together. Avinu, our Father, we are so thankful to call you Father because you love us as your own children. And now we ask that Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit, the very one who inspired the writing of Scripture, that he would illuminate our minds and hearts to the truth of the Word. And that as we therefore look upon him who is the living Word, that will not only be enlightened in our minds, but will be empowered to live out the truth. And so we ask for your blessing. And even as we pray, we pray even now for the peace of Jerusalem. And we pray that you might protect the nation of Israel from the aggression from Hezbollah and Hamas. And we pray that you'll protect your people according to your word. Uh, because we know you are a faithful God. And we know that because the Messiah of Israel has come. And in dying for our sins, he conquered death. That we would therefore be a bold, confident people proclaiming truth. And so we ask for your blessing to the end that that name which is above every name might be glorified, exalted, lifted up, and magnified. For all this we pray, B'Shem Yeshua HaMashiach Adonai in the name of Yeshua the Messiah, our Lord. Amen. Amen. Oh, so let's understand something. Uh, for those who are here uh, for a Passover Seder uh, for the first time, uh, let me just mention that it might seem a little confusing, the whole idea of having to have preparations when it's a fully furnished upper room. Did you notice what you read there? If it's fully furnished, then, then what's to prepare? Well, the main preparation, of course, back then and now in every home that celebrates Passover, uh, is the cleansing of the home of all leavened products. All yeasted baked goods have to be removed from the home before Passover can begin. And there's two reasons for this. There is a historical reason. As we look back about 3,400 years ago, uh, we see uh, my people, my brothers and sisters according to my own flesh, and yours too, about to be redeemed from bondage in Egypt by God's mighty arm. And God tells them to be ready to move at his command. They did not have the luxury of waiting around for bread to rise with the leaven therein. And so, therefore, they ate unleavened bread, matzah, matzah. And so for those who are here for the very first time, your first Passover, you may be thinking, well, matzah, unleavened, it must taste terrific. <laughs> we understand you're new here. We'll be gentle. No, this is why we do it like once a year, okay? Uh, so understand uh, the historical reason. And so the issue, they could not wait around to have leaven arise uh, uh, with the yeast therein. They couldn't wait for that. Well, neither can we. They could not afford to have leaven in their loaves. We can't afford to have leaven in our loaves either. Because the second reason why we eat unleavened bread during Pesach 
is because in the Bible, yeast or leaven is a natural corrupting agent. It's a picture of sin, pride, unbelief, and even death. It wasn't permitted to have any yeasted products on the bloody altar in uh, the Mikdash or in the tabernacle or in the temple uh, because of its uh, symbolism of sin. And that's why we want to understand the deeper meaning that the Bible gives to it. Please notice, if you will, at the bottom of page 5. In the bottom of page 5 there, we have another section of scripture. Uh, for those who are unfamiliar with what the New Covenant teaches, as I was when I first started reading it, uh, you'll probably be surprised to see how much it talks about matters that you may be very familiar with. But please note with me, if you will, uh, at the bottom of page 5, let's read together from 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 6 through 8. Let's read that together in unison and out loud. Here we go. Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Therefore, purge out the old leaven, that you may be a new lump. you are truly for indeed Messiah, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast, not with the old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. So let's understand, let us keep the feast. Indeed, uh, what's being uh, mentioned here by Paul uh, in this portion of Scripture He's using a phrase that's taken directly from uh, Shemot or Exodus chapter 12 about keeping the feast, a command Moses and now Paul gives as well, uh, that all the new covenant believers, all of them, wherever they lived, were expected to celebrate Passover. And so we want to understand what was normative in the first century as a testimony to the Lamb of God, to the Messiah of Israel, is something that many people are just, uh, they're just unaware of altogether. And so let's appreciate the issue here. Uh, he says, let us keep the feast. And so we should. But let us not make a mockery of our faith. For those of us who understand the redemption from Egypt foreshadowing the greater redemption in the Messiah, let us not make our faith to seem like faith seem to be like foolishness to the world. Let's not celebrate salvation uh, in a way that brings dishonor to God. How would we do that if we have leaven in the loaf, unconfessed sin in our lives? Now, as I grew up, the only time we talked about sin or confessing sin was on Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. Uh, I took for granted, growing up in such an environment, that that's basically the, the, whole, uh, the whole extent of the matter. On Yom Kippur, you talk about such matters. I was surprised in reading the Bible how often it talks about sin and that we need to confess our sins uh, every time they, they arise. We need to recognize them for what they are. Uh, you say, well, why is that? Understand life from God's point of view. God created people on purpose. He created us, it says uh, in uh, Genesis uh, 126, 
and he created us in his own image. He created us on purpose to relate to him, to relate to him so we might therefore represent him. But sin entered the human equation and it broke relationship with God. That's what sin does. Sin breaks relationships. And so therefore, God, being rich in mercy, promised to send the Messiah of Israel to come and be our atonement, uh, be our redemption, to make sacrifice for our sins. Why? Because God desires a relationship with you. He created you on purpose. He created you for his purposes. And therefore, he wants that relationship. And so as we understand the matter of what we just read, unconfessed sin breaks the intimacy of relationship. The intimacy of that relationship. And you're left with nothing but religion. No one's very happy about religion, are they? Now, if you're satisfied with religion, good for you. But God is not. He wants a relationship with us. And so what we learn here is not only must the home be cleansed of all leaven products, but the heart must be cleansed as well. I mean, if you have a clean home and a filthy heart, that, that's a picture of a hypocrite. Uh, you need to make sure your heart is right with God. And so the New Covenant teaches us that because of Messiah's atonement, if we confess our sins, which means agreeing with God that they're wrong, agreeing with God that they're sins, and we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Well, isn't that good news? And so, therefore, understand that in the first century, while the Shalachim, the apostles, were all around doing their work, all the congregations observed, celebrated Passover as a reorientation around the Lamb of God. A reorientation around the provision that God made in order to have an intimate relationship with the Lord. And so it, it, it serves that purpose for us as well. If you've been out of touch with God, this is an opportunity to restore that relationship on, on a firm foundation in light of what Messiah has done. And so we want to understand that. Now, uh, to be frank with you, preparation is such a big deal. You say, well, what do you mean? We've already talked about it. Well, I'm not done yet then. I want you to just notice something. Uh, all of you have a, a cup of grape juice before you. Uh, we're going to drink from it four times during the Passover uh, Seder. Four times. So no chug-a-lugging. Okay? <laughs> Be careful of that. Uh, some of you who do things automatically. No chug. We'll drink from it four times. And the reason for that is that the Passover contains the fourfold blessing of redemption. And that's why underneath the uh, title of every cup, you'll see that blessing from Exodus chapter 6, verse 6 and 7, noted for you. And so we want to understand that. Uh, the head of the house as such, uh, this is the demonstration table, uh, the head of the house will be seated here. But at the opposite end of the table, traditionally there's a chair 
uh, that's left empty and a cup before it. And usually I grew up uh, traditionally, so he left the door open, all awaiting Eliyahu Hanovi, who we sang about, Elijah the prophet, who by tradition will come at Passover time and his coming would just precede the coming of the Messiah himself. Now this tradition is taken from the prophet Isaiah chapter 40 uh, and from Malachi chapters 3 and 4. In Malachi 3.1 we read of the herald of the Lord who came to prepare the way of our God just before God would come to visit his people according to Malachi. And so we read on in the scriptures, in the New Covenant writings, we see that the ministry of the herald of the Lord was fulfilled. Who's the one who proclaimed the, the prepare ye the way of the Lord? Who's the one who heralded that? What was his name? John what? The baptizer. We, we, we don't think he was a Baptist. Just I know you Baptists got a lot of marketing out of that one. Uh, we think it spoke of what he did, not where he belonged. Just saying, no offense. I think if I say no offense, you're not allowed to be offended, right? Well, in any case, John, when he saw Yeshua, when Yochanan saw Yeshua, he proclaimed and heralded to all those with ears to hear, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John 1.29. But as many as would not accept Yeshua, as the Messiah, they therefore would not accept John as the herald of the Messiah, for they wouldn't believe on the one in whom he heralded. And so a seat is traditionally left empty for one that biblically and historically came long ago. And so we want to understand preparation even more so. But we're not done with preparation yet. You say, well, what more can there possibly be to prepare? Well, you're new here. Uh, understand, we're going to be continuing to prepare. I need help at every table. I need your help. And so, therefore, I want the oldest male at each table to raise their hand. The oldest male to raise their hand. The old... Uh, Thank you. Yes. Thank you. Okay. You're only very good. Yeah. The oldest man. I need what? Uh, yeah. Okay. Uh, every table. I need, uh, check. Check out uh, that room. Is every? We have an oldest man at every table raising their hand there. Okay. Thank you. Now listen. Uh, you are the papa of your table. The papa of your table. You say. Well, does it pay better? No, but the benefits are out of this world. So you are the papa. Let me tell you what you'll be doing. You'll be assisting me. First of all, I want those items. You'll notice it looks like an hors d'oeuvres tray. If you can move that a little closer to where papa is seated so he can utilize that in the distribution. When we get down to uh, enjoying uh, the elements, uh, the papas will help me with the distribution. Thank you. And I want you to notice also on the table, there are these matzotashes, mashaton shoshim, uh, and uh, afikomen bags. I'd like to have you place those closer to Papa as well, if you will. Place that a little closer to where Papa is as well. Thank you. Uh, and so there you are. Uh, Papa, you'll be using that. I'll, uh, I'll guide you through this process. 
Uh, you'll be using that as well, assisting me in the matter around your table. And now listen, Papa, I need to make sure we maintain order. Everything should be done decently and in order. And so, Papa, I'm counting on you to maintain order at your table. Now, some of you are looking at me like I've never been able to do that up till now. <laughs> what makes you think that'll make a difference? Well, I'm going to teach you a special word. This special word, when you utilize it, will bring order to your table. Are you ready, Papas? I'm going to say it. Then I'm going to count to three, and you'll then shout it out back to me. You ready? The word is sha. One, two, three. Oh, come on. You got to pop it up, guys. I'll give you one more shot at this deal. Ready? One, two, three. Okay. Well, we'll have to work on that as we go through the evening here together. In any case, we have our papas. Now, along with the papas, I need to have a mama at every table as well. If the papa brought one, that's convenient. If you didn't bring one, this is about to become the Nadler dating service. But in any case, I would like not the oldest woman at every table. No, no, no. The most mature woman at every table. Please raise your hand. If, if you came with the papa, you are the mama. Uh, but in any case, I need uh, the most mature woman there to raise her hand at every table here. Uh, we got a, do we have a hand here at this table? Uh, okay. Uh, who's the mama at that table? Okay, very good. Uh, what about back there? You guys got your mamas there? All righty. Now listen, mama, I need to have those that candle and matches placed closer to where you are seated. You'll be assisting Miriam in the lighting of the candle a little in just a few minutes from now. So I need that placed a little closer to where Mama is seated at the table. Thank you, Mama. Great. Uh, now, also, Mama, you get a special word. You get a special word uh, here at Passover too. Are you listening carefully? Are you listening carefully to this word? Here's your word. I'm going to say it. Count to three, and then you'll shout it back at me, okay? Fair. One, two, three. Fair. Yeah, that means I don't listen to you at home. Why would I listen to you here? Now, everything is just like at home, isn't it? And so we want, because Passover is a family occasion to rejoice in our redemption together. It's a time for families to rejoice before the Lord. And so now we have the reunion of the mamas and the papas. Uh, we want to now move on, if we will. I'm going to ask for my wife, Miriam, to come up to the platform. Uh, she will lead the mamas. Mamas, if you can stand by your candle, if that's possible. Uh, you may not be able to stand by your man, but stand by your ca <laughs> candle, if you will, please. In the lighting of this candle, she will lead you. Uh, through the prayers on page uh, first we're going to light the candle then we'll candles and then one seven we'll I'll chant it you can chant it with me and we'll read the English and as we light the candle candles we embrace the light of Passover for three times
turn, if you will, to page 10. On page 10, we have another prayer at the top of the page that deals with the carpus or the parsley. And so, Papas, this is your turn to assist me. Please notice the little thing of parsley there on the plate. If you'll take a little piece for yourself and pass the cup around so each one can take a piece of parsley for themselves as well. And pass the cup around if you will, please. And, and Papa, if you will then, with your piece of parsley, I want you to notice that there is a cup of salt water on that same plate. I want you to dip your parsley into the salt water and then pass the salt water around in order for each one to do likewise. You say, well, why are we doing this? Well, uh, because of a number of reasons, but let me just mention, if you will, if I will, that uh, the, the parsley itself is a bitter herb. We partake of bitter herbs to remember the bitterness of bondage. But this particular herb is green. Uh, and it reminds us of the very life we live, the greenness, the freshness of life itself. And so in a very real way, we hold our lives in our hands. But dipping it into the salt water is a reminder of our lives in bondage. Our lives in bondage. Uh, because all we knew were the tears, the salt water, a picture of our tears. They're in bondage. Now, some of us, uh, might think, well, we've ne I've never been in bondage. You may be fooling yourself. The Bible is very clear on the parallel between Egyptian bondage and the life of every person. It tells us that we are born with a sin nature. Uh, and therefore, every one of us has to recognize the bondage of sin. You may be wondering, why is it I have an anger problem? Why do I have an anxiety problem? What in the world do I have this fear? Why am I, 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 why am I just overwhelmed by fear so often? Why do I have this problem with so much guilt and whatever else it may be, resentments and hatreds and whatever else there may be? All of this reflective of the bondage of sin. And so understand, if you will, most people like sin. It's probably the most popular thing we have in this world today. Many make a pretty good living at it, to tell you the truth. And people like their sins and their pleasures accordingly. That's why it's so popular. But it is the results of the sin, just like the results of the bondage in Egypt, which brought bitterness, embittered the souls of the Israelites. The results of the bondage brought bitterness to soul, so the results of sin bring results we don't like, the hatreds, the anxieties, the depressions, the fear, all of those things are the results of the sin nature. And therefore those matters bring us to recognize our need for redemption. Sin itself, not so much. But the results of those sins, the bitterness of the bondage, yes, that draws our attention to our need for redemption from the Redeemer of Israel, indeed. And so I'd like us now, if you've dipped your parsley into the salt water, well, let's pray, if you will, the prayer that's at the top of page 10. Uh, read it uh, in Hebrew and in English. If you can jump on in, here we go. 
the root of child of joy, the Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, creator of the fruit of the earth. Amen. Please partake of it, if you will, please. Thank you. You say, well, this is pretty bitter. Well, I thought it's pretty good stuff. Uh, but you have some water there if you need to wash it down. I'd like you now, Papa, if you'd be so kind to assist me. You have there, as I mentioned before, the matzah tash, or matzah bag, which contains three slices of unleavened bread inside the one bag. The great three-in-one is here. Uh, I'd like you to note uh, for the people at the table the, the three that are in the one. We're not going to do a magic trick, so don't worry about that. But I just want you to note there's three in one. Uh, and so I want you now, Papa, to take out the middle slice, leave the top and the bottom, Take out the middle slice, if you will, please. And hold it up. When I was growing up, I was taught many traditions uh, regarding uh, the matzotash, uh, the three-in-one. We In our home, we called it the echad, the unity, the three-in-one. Uh, but in any case, uh, I was taught many traditions. I remember being taught how it represented the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, uh, and as the middle patriarch, the second patriarch, Isaac, as he was taken out for sacrifice in Genesis chapter 22. So the middle slice of unleavened bread is taken out. And now, Papas, I would like you to do something. I want you to make sure that the bread, uh, the lines are going up and down. You know, when you make unleavened bread, sometimes it gets a little dicey in those ovens and they explode on you. And so our, ours is uh, traditionally made with holes and stripes, but comes from the process, so it wouldn't explode in the ovens. But in any case, it's a beautiful picture as the Bible would describe the Messiah. He was prophesied in, in Isaiah uh, that with his stripes, uh, we would be healed. He was pierced through for our transgressions. And so it's with special meaning, therefore, that we hold up the unleavened bread. And I'd like you to put your two thumbs together behind it, thusly, thusly. Put your thumbs behind it, like so. Can you do that? You got that? Mama, you may need to assist. Some of these things are heavy lifting, just saying. And so I'd like you, if you will, to, uh, got it? Okay. Because I want to declare to you, this is the bread of our affliction. Please break it. Half goes back into the bag from where it came. But the other half is taken. I see some of you papas are more creative. Okay. The other half is taken and placed in the matzah tash. You may not have been able to read that, but it's, uh, it's called the Afikomen, rather. Uh, placed in the Afikomen bag. And then wrap it, if you will. And then I want you to hide it away. Bury it, so to speak, out of sight, where no one can see it. Because we have, I don't know, about 50 kids right now that may come looking for that. Because according to our traditions, uh, the youngsters under the age of 13 
Uh, they are to find this broken piece of unleavened bread and to get a reward from the head of the table, just to be clear on that. Uh, and so we want to appreciate that fact. You say, well, that's nice, but what of it? Well, let me just mention, if I, if I can be clear about this matter, from where I sit now, from where I'm seated, this three-in-one has a different perspective for me. It is now a reminder of the great three-in-one of Israel, the great God of Israel. You say three-in-one, are you referring to the Trinity? I'm referring to that mystery nature of God, yes. Uh, that is detailed out in the Hebrew scriptures and Isaiah 48, 16 and elsewhere and how he came to our aid. He came to redeem us uh, as the middle piece, the Messiah of Israel, Ben Elohim, the Son of God, the second person of the triunity, how he came, died on our behalf and was wrapped in a white linen cloth and then buried, hidden away, until the third day, at which time he was raised bodily from the dead, giving gifts unto the sons of men. And all who find him, uh, they'll receive just a small reward from the head of the table. They receive the unspeakable gift, eternal life, forgiveness of sins, and a relationship with the living God. Praise be his name. Praise be his name. But understand the point of the ceremony, if you will. In order to find him, in order to lay hold of him, you have to have the faith of a small child. Simple, sincere faith. Sincere faith in what God has done for us, not in what we can do for him. In what he has provided, we simply, sincerely trust. But in the cynical world, it can be very hard to have sincere faith. But that's what the Bible requires. That's what God requires. Sincere faith in the provision he made on our behalf. And so as we now continue on, that will stay hidden, of course. We'll bring it out for the third cup, uh, unless a child finds it and gets, hopefully, uh, a reward that will help with his college tuition. Just a suggestion. Uh, as we move on now, I'd like us, if we will, go back to our Haggadah. Uh, and you'll notice we come to this on page 23. We come to the second cup section. The second cup section on page 23. 13. Yeah, it's moving up in the charts. Uh, 23 last year, 13 this year, and next year, who knows, who knows, uh, it's so popular. Uh, and so let's take a look at the second cup section, you'll notice if you will, it's called the cup of plagues or judgments. You may feel reticent to drink from a cup of plagues, I understand, but remember what were plagues for the non-believers as such in Egypt were miracles and blessings for the people of God. God understands who are his. And you'll notice, if you will, uh, at the bottom of page 13, uh, it says, I will rescue you from their bondage, a second blessing, a second redemptive blessing. And so during this cup, we will notice not only uh, the bitterness of bondage to the depth of it all, but also the, once you come to the depth of it all, you say, well, what does that mean? It's not until, you know, we read in the New Covenant, 
says in Romans uh, chapter uh, 7 and verse 24 and 25. Uh, Paul uh, cries out, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And then he immediately says, Thanks be to God through Yeshua the Messiah. You see, you really can't say thanks unto God for what he has done until you recognize the wretchedness of what sin has accomplished in your life as well. And so we come now uh, on page 14. Uh, I'd like Papas, if you'd be so kind, this extra matzah, matzot on your table. Uh, please give a, a, a pass it around so each person, not, not from there, there's a basket full of matzah. Uh, mamas, you want to keep your eye on Papa, they want to go to what they shouldn't go to. And so uh, please pass around to every person, let everyone get some matzah. Be a benevolent papa, you can pass, everyone can get a whole slice of matzah. Uh, we're, that, we're that benevolent. Uh, and so once you get that, if you would. Break off a piece for yourself. Break off a piece for yourself, if you will. You know, as we recognize this matter, uh, we're going to say the blessing in the middle of page 14. The traditional blessing, we say this a couple of times during the Seder. If everyone at your table has some matzah, each person can break off a piece for themselves. And now let's recite the blessing together. Baruch atah, in the middle of the page. Baruch atah, Adonai, Elohim, Melech, Olam, Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who brings forth bread from the ground. Amen. Please take a little bite for yourself. There you go. Mmm, delicious. <laughs> <laughs> And now we want to do something else, if we will. Now that you all have some unleavened bread, uh, break off another piece. If you, if you don't have a piece, break off another piece for yourself again. And now, Papa, this is what I want you to do. I want you to notice on that uh, little hors d'oeuvres plate, so to speak, uh, where the elements are, there is a little bowl of maror, horseradish. Maror means bitterness. You say, why is it called bitterness? You're about to find out. <laughs> and now, Papa, I want you to take your piece of unleavened bread, if you will, and I want you to dip it in to the maror, to the horseradish, and put a, put a big lump on there. <laughs> you got the Papa up here, okay? Put a big lump on, on there, if you will. And then, Papa, once you have on yours, pass the bowl of uh, horseradish around so each one can do likewise and keep your eye on these people don't let them pass over the maror make sure they put some on their on their piece of unleavened bread please now once you're at table you say what in the world are we doing this for well remember the wretchedness of sin in other words the result 
of the bondage went to the very root of their souls. Therefore, the horseradish root is used to recognize the problem of depravity in the human soul and the desperate need for redemption. It's only when we recognize the desperate strength that the Bible teaches we have. You say, well, I, 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 in my heart, I, I think good thoughts. The Jeremiah, the prophet, Jeremiah 17, 9. Jeremiah said, the heart is unspeakably wicked beyond all understanding. So you gotta understand, you may be deceiving yourself. The Bible reflects back our own nature and how much we need redemption. And so now, if you will, Papas, I want you to know this. Uh, everyone, uh, on page 15, the blessing in the middle of the page there. Uh, let's, let's recite together the prayer in the middle of the page there. Oh, listen, we, we, we're doing very well on time here. Go back to page 14. <laughs> I want you to know this on page 14 near the bottom. You see where it says H and P? Can you mm -hmm. see that? Yes. Yeah. Papa, you are the H, head of the table. Everyone else is not a peon, just people, okay? <laughs> uh, they're the people. And so, Papas, you will say with me uh, the H uh, portions, and everyone else will read the P portions. All right, there you go. Uh, let's, Papas, here we go. Our lives in bondage were bitter to the very root of life. Together, I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplications, and they shall look upon me whom they have pierced, and they shall mourn for him that was no more for his only son, and shall show me the bitterness for him as one has been bitterness for his firstborn. Papas. Know therefore, and see that it was an evil and bitter thing that you have forsaken the Lord your God. Indeed, it was for my own peace that I have made bitterness, and you have lovingly delivered my soul from the pit of corruption. For you have cast all my sins behind your back. May his name be blessed forever. Now let's, if we will, let's take our piece of unleavened bread with the maror on there. Can't get enough of it. <laughs> and let's recite the blessing in the middle of page 15. Here we go. Baruch Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who commanded us to eat bitter herbs. Amen. Please partake. Please partake. Delicious, isn't it? Yes. There you go. Mmm. Mmm. What's good? There's some water there for you. Now you know why. I put it back. Put it back. Put it back. And now, Papas, I want to, now that everyone has uh, some, some matzos, some unleavened bread, everyone break off another piece for yourself. And now, Papa, I want you to notice that on that same uh, 
Seder plate that you have there. There is a, a bowl of what looks like apple salad. Uh, it's brown. It's corrosive. Corrosive. Uh, Papas, if you'll please take your unleavened bread and dip it in and put some corrosive on your piece of unleavened bread and then pass it around so each can do likewise. Okay, now some of us, a Hillel sandwich, you want to put some extra maror on there because you love maror so much. You love horseradish. I like arosa. But in any case, I love it. Uh, you can just put some arosa. Let me just mention, if I might, uh, that the arosa, uh, it's very color. Uh, it's made, it's like apple salad. It's rather sweet tasting when we get to it. Uh, and so we want to understand the word corrosive means mortar, M-O-R-T-A-R, mortar. And it reminds us of the clay of Egypt from which we made the bricks for Pharaoh's uh, uh, buildings, for his uh, buildings there. And so we want, don't worry, there's no straw in there. This is clay without straw, all right? But in any case, you'll say, well, is it going to be bitter? No, it's going to be sweet. Why do we do that? Because together we remember that even the labors of our bondage were sweet, knowing that our redemption drew nigh. You say, well, that's meaningful, isn't it? It is if you know the Redeemer. Uh, do a true or false with me for a moment. True or false? The Bible says God will never leave us nor forsake us. True or false? True. true. You have in every situation his presence. That was great. Here's another one. True or false? All things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. True or false? True. 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 We have his promise as well as his presence in every situation. Now we prayed over the elements as such, so please just partake of the horosa. There you are. Very good. And now I want to just hold up for you the Beitzah. Uh, you say, well, what is that? Well, we have a symbol uh, of the sacrifices regarding Pesach, the festival sacrifices as such. Uh, and you say, well, why do you use an egg? Are you competing with the other group? <coughs> no, no, we're tonight plain and simple. No, it's because of its shape, its roundness. You say, well, what do you mean? When we were delivered from bondage, we recognized we were brought from a house of death into life. And the very life of God is endless. And so we recognize that. And by the way, it's in light of this, we, we recognize the words of our Messiah, who declared, he said, I am the resurrection and the life. And so death has no fear for a believer because we have the truth of resurrection life, not only the blessed hope. And so I'll, I'll give this to anyone I think needs a little bit more cholesterol this evening. Uh, so just wait upon that, if you will. And now we come uh, to the point of uh, fear cautious of the four questions, um, etc. Uh, who is going to do that? Uh, someone under 13, or if need be, under 113. <laughs> Who? Ah. Uh, we are granted a blessing, is that it? Okay. 
made a deal. Oh. I have to be up here. <laughs> Please. All right. This is Lahela and Jacob. Say to your son. It was intended to be oriented around the children so they could learn about the mighty works God performed to deliver his people from bondage in Egypt and prepare them for the greater redemption in the Messiah of Israel. And so they, they laid out some questions there, uh, which you can see for yourself on 
bottom of page 17. Uh, so that those questions on all of the nights we eat either leavened or unleavened bread. Why in this night do we eat matzah unleavened? Well, we've covered that, you see. On all the nights we eat vegetables of all kinds. Why in this night do we eat bitter herbs? Well, we've covered that as well. On all of the nights we do not dip at all. Why in this night do we dip twice? What? Into the maror and in, uh, with the uh, carpus, the parsley, into the water. Why do we dip twice? We're going to get to that one. We'll get to that one. On all of the nights we are, we sit, we're sitting upright or reclining. Why on this night do we all recline? Because we're lazy? No, because <laughs> we are no longer slaves in bondage. But now we celebrate our redemption as kings in their liberty, reclining around the table. And therefore, those of you who have your necktie a little tight there, loosen up. Uh, this is Passover time. Uh, please turn, if you will, to page 18. I'd like you to read with me. We're going to, uh, the different colors there are really to help us understand the text uh, a little better, to see it a little easier. Uh, let's read, if we will. We're going to read the section, traditional section, to be read on Pesach, on Passover. Let's read all of page 18 and through verse 13 on the next page. Let's read together in unison. Here we go. Now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be your beginning of months, and shall be the first month of the year to you. Speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying, On the tenth day of this month, every man shall take for himself a lamb, according to the house of his father, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next to his house take it according to the number of the persons, according to each man's need, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. Now you shall keep it until the fourteenth day of the same month. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall fill it at twilight. And they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the houses where they eat it. They shall eat flesh on that night, roasted in fire, with unleavened bread and bitter herbs that they shall eat it. Do not eat it raw, nor boil it all with water, but roast it in fire, its head with its legs and its entrails. You shall let none of it remain until the morning, and what remains of it until morning you shall burn with fire. And all that you shall eat it, with a belt on your waist, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, so you shall eat it in haste. It's the Lord's Passover, for I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night, and will strike the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the lands of Egypt I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. Now the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and the plague shall not be on you 
to destroy you I strike the land of Egypt. This portion of scripture is foundational for the new covenant, for the New Testament. Uh, all the references in the new covenant referring to the lamb come from this section of scripture, the foundational portion for Passover. And so we want to just understand uh, the matter. Isn't it interesting just to get your attention on a few details for your further consideration? Please notice in verse 2, uh, God says this is the beginning of months. This is the beginning of months. God has his year oriented around redemption. With God, everything begins with redemption. And so therefore, if any man be a Messiah, he is a new creation. Your life actually begins at redemption. That's why the Bible talks about being born again, a new life in him. Life begins with redemption. And the calendar year in God's sight reminds us of that. And you'll notice as well in verse 3 and 4 of what you read there. Uh, it said there in verse 3, uh, on the tenth day of the month, every man shall take for himself a lamb on the tenth of the month. The tenth of the month. And you read in verse 6 that they were to slay it on the fourteenth of the month. Did you note that for yourselves? You say, well, why would that, what does that mean? Well, for me, I tend to, you know, argue everything. I would have told God, let's just get out of Dodge and we'll deal with the details later. But he wanted to wait four or five days to make sure the Lamb of Redemption was a perfect Lamb. And you say, well, what does that mean for us? Well, understand along with me, if you will, that the Messiah of Israel entered into Yerushalayim, into Jerusalem, on the cult of a donkey. Uh, many, many places of worship, houses of worship, uh, honored that day last Sunday, didn't they? Uh, anyone know what they call that day uh, uh, that they honored last Sunday? Anybody know what they call that day? Palm Sunday. Palm Beach Sunday, yes. And so, so uh, Yeshua entered Jerusalem in all humility on a donkey, not a war charger, offering himself as a lamb to Israel. And as the lamb in Egypt was therefore selected and then inspected, so he went through inspection as well. He was interrogated. My goodness, he was tortured until finally, even as the lamb was slain on the 14th of the month, so on the 14th of the month, the head of government stood up and said, I find no fault in him. For when he entered Jerusalem on the colt of the donkey, in the new covenant in Mark, in his, uh, it, it mentions clearly that when he entered Jerusalem, it was at evening time. That evening was the 10th of the month when the lambs were typically selected. God fulfilled the details to assure us the details of our life can be fulfilled too when we cast our cares unto the Lord because he cares for us. Also, please notice, if you will, in verse 3 it says, uh, every man shall take for himself a lamb. Do you see that? A lamb. Uh, just take one of the lambs. Just any old lamb at that point. Do you see that? But then it goes on uh, in verse 4. And it says at the, in verse 4, and if the household is too small for 
Volam. Do you see that? See, once, once it's picked, it's now Volam. This is the lamb. It goes from being any old lamb to the lamb. But please notice, if you will, what it says in verse 5. In verse 5, it says, your lamb. Do you see that? It goes from being a lamb to the lamb to your lamb. And it's only when it was your lamb that it could be the lamb of redemption. In the very same way, many people who are struggling in life are looking for a savior. And they may reach out to Yeshua, and they don't know why sometimes. But once they've done that, then he is not just a savior, he is the savior. And when they do that and realize it, then they must come to a place. They have to say, he is going to be my savior. He has to be your lamb, to be your lamb of redemption as well. And please note, if you will, though the lamb was slain on the 14th of the month in verse 6, that was not the last word on the subject, was it? You'll notice in verse 7, something I always have to tell people, don't try this at home. They took the blood of the lamb and placed it on the two sides of the door and the upper lintel of the doorway. Don't do this at home. We have enough bad press about hope of Israel. We don't need people hiding their dogs and cats from us either. So they took the blood, and it wasn't enough the lamb was slain. Listen very carefully. There would have been no redemption unless the blood was applied. You say, what? What? What do you mean? Did you see what we read that last verse? Verse 13. What we had read there together. It says, now the blood shall be a sign. A sign. That blood-stained door shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And God says, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. Do you get that? When I see the blood, I will pass over you. And not until I see the blood. God is very clear on the matter about that lamb. That lamb's blood had to be applied if all the lambs of Egypt were slain, but the blood was not applied. There would have been no redemption. You say, well, what does that have to do with us? The very same thing is true for us. You say, well, hold it, hold it. Stop right there, Sam. Listen. God's whole purpose was just to bring Israel out of Egypt. All this blood stuff, that can't be, that can't be anything important. It's everything. You're telling me that the Israelites would not be delivered from bondage in Egypt if they didn't put blood on their doors? That's what it says. That's what it says. Well, why? Because God was not going to deliver from bondage in Egypt a people merely according to the flesh, but a people of faith. People who would trust in his way of redemption, in his way of deliverance, in his way of salvation. Only those would be the people who are delivered from such bondage. And so we want you to say, but what do you mean? Listen, I was born a Jew, I will die a Jew. But in truth, the Bible says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, Jews and non-Jews alike. 
all of us are cut from the same bolt of cloth. And so really, what is the difference? Think about it. The difference between an Israelite in Egypt and an Egyptian in Egypt, all have sinned and fallen short. Let me put it another way. What's the difference between a believer in Yeshua and a non-believer in Yeshua? What's the difference? Is it that the believers are nicer people? Don't you wish? <laughs> the only difference is the blood. Amen. For all have sinned and fallen short. The only difference between those who were redeemed and those who were judged is the blood. When I see the blood, God says, I will pass over you. That is Passover. Otherwise, without the blood, it would not be a Passover, if you can understand that. And so in the very same way, that blood-stained door grips our attention. And so in Psalm 22, we see how Messiah would die. It says they have pierced his hands and his feet, picturing the form of death, prophesying the form of death that Messiah would die a thousand years before he came. And therefore Messiah died at the central point of all history, the center of all, the, the middle of history. The very purposes of God provided in the death of the Messiah. And all who lived prior to the Messiah, they had faith that anticipated what God would provide. And for those of us that live this side of history, we therefore appropriate what God has provided. All focusing with our same faith on the center point of history, to the lamb that was slain. And so during this cup, we recognize the way of redemption. Not only the bitter herbs that show us why we wanted to be redeemed, but God lays out for us the way of redemption, how we would be redeemed. And so we therefore come to the point on page 20, if you will, we have the issue of the plagues. Now we have, you know, we're messianic, so we have some pretty messy traditions. <laughs> and so I grew up, we would take a drop of the grape juice and make a little uh, picture on our napkins. And so I will leave that to you, you artistic types. Uh, may enjoy yourself to no end. So we're going, this is what we're going to do. We're going to recite the plagues <laughs> together. Uh, with each plague, we're going to take, for those of you that are so inclined, we'll take a drop of the fruit of the vine and place it on your napkin. Okay. And perhaps the best picture will get the egg. Can't <laughs> promise that, though. But nonetheless, if you hope. Let's recite the plagues. You'll notice them there uh, at the top of your page. Here we go. Blood. Frogs. Bats, flies, pestilence, boils, hail, locusts, darkness, slain of the firstborn. Now, isn't that awful? Slain of the firstborn. What a terrible thing to happen. What a horrible thing to Can you imagine if that happened to our community? Now, how many people here are firstborn in their families? Raise your hand if you're a firstborn. 
My goodness, look at that. We would lose a third of our people here. My goodness. Well, don't be worried. Nothing's going to happen, I hope. Uh, but in any case, what a terrible thing to be done to the firstborn there. Why was this particular place the one that would make the difference, that would move Pharaoh's heart to let Israel go, to let the Jewish people as such leave bondage in Egypt. What is there about this plague? Well, this plague is vital for us to understand if we're to appreciate the provision of God for redemption. You say, well, what do you mean? Read with me, if you will, the scripture portion underneath that picture from Exodus 4, verse 22 and 23. Let's read that together in unison. Here we go. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, Israel is my son, my firstborn. So I say to you, let my son go, that he may serve you. But if you refuse to let him go, indeed I will kill your son, your firstborn. Yikes! What's going on here? Well, the picture here is a picture of judgment. You see, judgment is fair. You say, what? Fill in the blanks for those who know their Bible. That which a person sows, this also will they reap. What you sow is what you reap. Justice and judgment is fair. What they did to Israel, God's firstborn of the nations, would be done to their firstborn. What you sow, you reap. And so we must understand this vital matter of judgment. Because if you don't think you're going to come under judgment, why would you care about a provision to deliver you from judgment? If you did not think you're going to face the eternal judge and be judged for your sins, and you think you're going to escape through on that, why would you care about the Lamb of Redemption at all? But you must recognize what the Bible says, what the Bible pleads with us to understand. It says in Numbers 32, 23, your sin will find you out. No one gets away with nothing. No one gets away with nothing. And so therefore, if we understand the truth of judgment, the absolute certainty of judgment, we therefore come to understand the great provision that God made in providing the Lamb to deliver those who put the blood on their doors in the very same way the Messiah of Israel came and died in our place. And, and for us, I want to just give you a, a word of warning, a word of warning. Listen carefully. The fact that Yeshua the Messiah, or Jesus as he's called, or Jesus as he's called, uh, the fact that the Messiah came and died for sins does you no good whatsoever unless you have applied his blood to your heart's door. Unless you have trusted in his provision. Because you recognize that is the blessed hope that God has given us now and forever. And so you must trust in his shed blood in order for you to have his deliverance from bondage and judgment, in order to have the benefits of salvation. 
You must trust in his blood, not in ceremonies, not in religious activities. You say, well, I read my Bible a lot. That's wonderful, but it cannot save you. It cannot deliver you. Well, I pray a lot. Lovely, but it cannot save you. It cannot deliver you. I was circumcised. I'm not going to check up on you on that, but that cannot save you. It cannot redeem you. I was baptized, some of you people might say. Wonderful. No hope in that. No salvation in that either. It must be faith in the shed blood. Nothing else is salvation. Nothing else will help. And so we come now, as you can understand, to the end of the second cup. And I will hold up. Do you, uh, Papas, do you have a, 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 a bone on your plate? I have a bone to pick with you. Please hold up the Zorah, the shank bone of the lamb. I want you to notice that the word Zorah uh, is also used in Scripture. You'll notice a little further down on your page, page 22 that is, it gives an explanation about the shank bone as the final sacrifice for our redemption. The same word, Zorah Adonai, is used here in Isaiah 53, 1. Can you see that? For the prophet writes, who has believed our message? To whom has the Zorah Adonai, the arm of the Lord, been revealed? And so indeed, it's a wonderful picture of the Lamb of salvation, even the Lamb of God. And therefore, in him we are complete. Amen. Let's lift our second cup for prayer, following which we'll have our meal. That should be a heads up to somebody, I suppose. <laughs> Let's recite the prayer at the top of page 23 together. Here we go. Baruch Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, creator of the fruit of the vine. Please drink from it. May the Lord bless the nourishment we're about to receive, not only to the building up of our bodies, but the healing of our bodies into the glory of his name. And all of God's people said, Amen. Enjoy your meal. We're going to continue after the meal with the third and fourth cups. So please be with us. No, no. I'm with Sean. I've been here before. Oh, right. yeah. I'm Judith, and this is my son, John. That's with you. Your name? Yeah, Michael. Michael. Yeah, I'm from Sean. I live here. Oh, you're from Sean. Oh, you're from Sean. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. It's getting, it's getting better, yeah. Yes. 
like the sort of the thing that you the like the lights and stuff like Thank you. 
you're enjoying your dessert. We have a special dance that Debbie Bateman and our dance team want to perform for you. And it's to the song called Hishanda. We have an overhead slide for that as well to be treated.
Isn't that wonderful? Wasn't that wonderful? Uh, I'm very thankful for the very servants the Lord has raised up for certain blessings that we enjoy here. It's just wonderful. And we want to uh, invite you all back tomorrow morning. It's sort of like a marathon Passover. Uh, invite you back tomorrow morning for our services. Uh, we have classes for all ages at 9.30. Uh, then our worship service is at, uh, Shabbat worship service is at 10.30. Uh, tomorrow morning we'll be looking at another aspect of the Passover week. Uh, for those who may wonder about uh, the resurrection of the Messiah, we'll be covering that in the morning relative to the Feast of Israel. Uh, why he had to be raised on the third day relative to the festivals of Israel. We'll be looking at the Feast of First Fruits of Passover, Rashid. And we invite you all back to learn even more. It's all exciting when you start to understand all that God has fulfilled uh, in his promises to the Messiah. Uh, I want to mention a couple of things. There's a book table out in the foyer there. Uh, for those who are interested, uh, the best books on the table are written by my wife, Miriam. And all the HO members said, it's just how it goes. It's just how it goes. In every family, someone smarter than the other. I had a shot, but not so much. So they will. But her book, Honoring God, has to do with women mentoring other women from Titus chapter 2. I think you'll find it wonderful. Uh, also, uh, my latest book, Messiah in the End Times. If you want to know what God is doing and will be doing, keep your eye on Israel. That's the key to God's prophetic program. Uh, you like that book? There is, a, there is someone who enjoys that book. Okay. Uh, what we're learning this evening, not only is it uh, through the Haggadah, which is our gift to you. Enjoy it. Take it home with you, uh, as you will. Uh, that way you don't have to feel guilty about the, uh, the, the grape juice stains and everything you messed up on. It's okay. It's yours now. Uh, but also, there's much more to learn. Uh, not only about Passover, but all the festivals of Israel and Messiah in the Feast of Israel. Uh, that book will be available on the table there with other uh, literature. Uh, and if you're interested, we'll be having a marriage conference. You say, what for? Uh, well, because marriages are under attack. Uh, and marriages need to be strong. And our community, our congregation, and your congregations, wherever you're visiting from, they can be no stronger than the families that make it up. And so we want to have strong families, strong marriages. Uh, be in prayer about this. Uh, there's information on the literature table there. Uh, Avail yourself to it accordingly. Uh, in any case, uh, we want to get back now, if we can, uh, to our Seder. Please open uh, your Haggadah, uh, if you will, to page 24. You'll notice the third cup section, the cup of redemption, the cup of redemption. And so we want uh, the, the blessing from that cup. It says at the bottom of 24, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm with great judgment. So the cup of redemption. And this cup, uh, we remember what has been done for us. What has been done for us. I'm going to ask uh, for the papas, uh, if you can find, if you haven't forgotten where you put it, uh, that broken piece of unleaded bread, not, uh, did I say unleaded? 
It's also unleavened, but you want to make sure it's unleavened too. In any case, if you please take out that piece of unleavened bread, the afikomen, or afikomon, uh, that you have hidden away, take it out if you will. Uh, growing up in a traditional home, this is the customary way we did everything, just like this. Uh, and it's kind of interesting how the Seder was something that you see in the New Covenant writings, uh, in the Good News accounts regarding the Messiah. What is called a Last Supper is really a traditional phrase. In the Bible, it's just called Passover. And that's how it was observed moving forward uh, in, those, in that first century. But when the bread comes out after the meal, the last item to be eaten in the meal, traditionally, is a symbol of the last sacrifice uh, for redemption, the lamb. And so it's a, traditionally a remembrance of the lamb uh, that was slain for redemption from bondage in Egypt. And that's just how those disciples along with Messiah would have understood it. And so we want to appreciate uh, what the Lord taught us about these matters. Uh, I'd like you to uh, read with me on page 25. You know this is H&P. I think we're all up to speed on H&P, okay? Not Hewlett Packard. Stop that. H&P, here we go. Let's, uh, oh, Papas, join me on the H. Here we go. Our people have partaken of the afikomen, the last food to be eaten in the meal, as a reminder of the Passover lamb, the last sacrifice for our redemption. We recognize our bondage was broken by God through the lamb. Messiah took bread and gave thanks and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me, together, for this is the Lamb and the bread of life, without leaven, that brought us redemption, life eternal, and heaven. Okay, let me just mention, if I might, uh, for those of you who have not yet come to personal faith in the Messiah, uh, the, what we're going to be doing in the partaking of the Afikomen uh, and the third cup will be a reminder to you of what took place there in Egypt. Uh, but for those of us who have come to personal faith in Messiah's sacrifice, uh, it has the deeper meaning that Messiah gave it. You read what he had said about it there. He had, he had taken this bread, it says, and he gave thanks. The very prayer we're going to pray is the same prayer that was prayed over in the first century. The same prayer that Yeshua prayed at that Passover meal. And so we want to see, it says he took bread and gave thanks. He broke a gave them and said, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. There might have been some of those disciples who might have felt tempted to say, oh Lord, excuse me. You mean in remembrance of the Lamb, don't you? But then they would have thought quickly and realized, no, no. Messiah is the only unleavened one. The only sinless one. He is the bread of life. He is the Lamb. And so I'd like us now to see, uh, Papas, if you have this piece of bread, I'd like you to break off a piece for yourself and pass it around so each one can take a piece around the table. Some of you Papas are so hip, you got it all done, Rainbow. Good for you. Okay.
Now, for those of us who have come to know the Messiah personally by trusting in him, uh, quite frankly, it has a deeper significance as it represents not just the Lamb uh, of Egypt, but the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The fact that his death paid for all of our sins. And so let's take a moment, if we will, uh, let's pray together the prayer at the bottom of page 25. Here we go. Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who brings forth bread from the earth. Amen. Please eat this in remembrance. And isn't it a wonderful prayer for those disciples to pray on that Passover evening with Messiah before he would die the next day? Isn't a significant prayer uh, that we bless the Lord who brings forth the bread from the ground? He would certainly die, but in fact, he would come forth from the dead. Isn't it a wonderful encouragement for that prayer to be prayed regarding this bread? Uh, if we can move along, and now Papa, I want to make sure uh, you're all up to speed on these matters here. You're doing great. I want you to notice on page 26, we now have the third cup, the cup of redemption itself. Uh, let me just mention what we'll be reading here. Uh, for the disciples, I'll note for you just the first matter at the top of the page. Underneath the title redemption, partaking the third cup, we again see the words of the Messiah. The common words, familiar words to many Bible readers, uh, but nonetheless, it's significant words. It said there, notice in verse, uh, what it says there from Luke 22, 20. It says, likewise, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. The new covenant in his blood. The new covenant. Now, that may be familiar words to many people here, but you have to imagine those disciples who were with Yeshua there at that last Passover meal. You have to imagine just how unusual this would be. The strange matter of the new covenant prophecy from Jeremiah and how, how stunning a prophecy it is. You say, stunning, well, what do you mean? Well, let's read it together. Uh, notice, if you will, under the portion I read for you, uh, we start with the people. Let's read together, uh, starting with behold. Here we go. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant which they broke, though I was a husband to them, says the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. No more shall every man teach his neighbor, and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they all shall know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and their sin I will remember 
no more. Let's stop there. Let me just mention, if I might. Uh, you say, well, what's so strange about that? Well, first of all, do you notice something about this new covenant? It had said in what you had read uh, earlier, it said there, not according to the covenant. Lo, kabrit, not like that other covenant. This would be a different covenant that God had prophesied to Israel through the prophet Jeremiah. A different covenant, not like the covenant of Mount Sinai when we came out of Egypt. And so we want to understand that to begin with. You say, well, what's different about this? Isn't it wonderful? that God says at the end of verse 34 that you read, isn't it wonderful that it says, I will forgive their iniquity and their sin, I will remember no more. Isn't that one? It's a forgive and forget covenant. Amen. How many people have often said, well, I may forgive, but I'll never forget. Did you ever hear that? That is contrary to the Bible because God has through the new covenant a forgiveness of sins through the Lamb of God. A forgiveness of sins through Messiah's sacrifice. And such a forgiveness of sins that there is the, not just the payment for the sin, but the cleansing away of the stain of sin. For it says in the New Covenant uh, that uh, Yeshua, his son, Cleanse, the sacrifice of Yeshua, his son, cleanses the way all sin, 1 John 1, 1, 7. All sin cleansed away. In other words, listen carefully. What God has forgiven you through the Messiah, he no longer remembers as sin. He no longer remembers as sin, no. And as we grow and mature in this new covenant revelation, we therefore learn to forgive and to forget. Why? Because we know a God who promises that all things will work together for good to those who love God and call according to his purpose. God takes those offenses and is able to make them into his blessing when we bring them to him. And so we want to understand that. But that wouldn't be the stunning part for the disciples that had Passover with the Messiah. Not at all. There was something even more shocking for them. Did you, what we read together, you notice the last section we read, it said there, no more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, know the Lord. Why? For they all shall know me. What? They all shall know me. What? You see, for the disciples in those days, that was a shocking statement. Because in fact, in those days, while the temple still stood, wasn't destroyed till 40 years after this Passover. While the temple still stood, there was only one person, the high priest, who once a year went into one place, the Holy of Holies, in the temple, in order to come into the presence of the Lord. One person, once a year, one place, how can each one? know the Lord. You can see the problem. Well, the very next day, following that Passover meal, the Messiah would be taken and he would be crucified. And when he died, when he died in that final sacrifice, in that finished work, when he died, when he said, it is finished, 
what happened at the same time. The veil in the temple that separated the presence of God from the people of God was torn asunder from top unto bottom, picturing that a way unto God has been made, that through a new covenant, through the new covenant relationship, we come to know the Lord, not just know about the Lord. Do you know the difference? Do you know the difference between knowing the Lord and knowing about the Lord? See, knowing about the Lord, that's religion. That doesn't satisfy your soul. It's not supposed to. Knowing the Lord is what is most significant. And so we want to understand this last cup. This last cup that reminds us of this new covenant relationship that he has established in Messiah's sacrifice. And so I'd like you to pick up the cup once more at the top of page 27. And let's recite the prayer in unison and then partake. Baruch Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, creator of the fruit of the vine. Let's drink this in remembrance. What an opportunity to know the Lord. The human soul is aching for a relationship with God. Nothing else will satisfy the human heart or soul. Nothing else will satisfy your life but knowing the Lord. Now, some of you might think, is that really all that important? It's everything. This is what the Messiah said. He tells us in John chapter 17, Listen, this is eternal life, to know you, the one true God, and Yeshua HaMashiach, whom you have sent. This is eternal life, to know him. If you don't know him and only know about him, you don't have eternal life. You're still trapped in your sins and trespasses. You say, well, then how do I come to know him? Is it by eating the bread and drinking from this cup? No, no, this is a memorial looking back on the way of atonement, on the way of deliverance, on the way of redemption. Do you remember how we learned how the middle piece was broken? Remember that? The middle piece was broken and hidden away. God did for us what we can never do for ourselves. We must understand the provision God made for us not what we can do for him, but also in the second cup. Do you remember the lamb that was slain? And the blood had to be applied. Remember that? If all the lambs of Egypt were slain, but the blood wasn't applied, there would have been no redemption. In the same way, the fact that the Messiah died in our place does you no good unless you trust in that atonement, that blood, that sacrifice, and that blood-stained door of your heart therefore assures you that you will pass from death unto life and will not come into judgment. This is the promise that comes from God when you simply trust in what he has provided through the Lamb. And so we want to understand this matter for ourselves. Because we come now to the fourth cup. 
You'll notice, if you will, on page 29, the fourth cup. It's called Hallel, praise, uh, but sometimes it's called Elijah's cup. You say, well, which is it? Praise or Elijah? Make up your mind. <laughs> well, it can be one or the other, depending on your heart. You say, what do you mean? For those of us who recognize what God has done for us and are thrilled for the salvation he has made on our behalf, it's a cup of praise as we leave here as the heralds of the Lord to declare good news. But for many of the families who only know tradition and not the truth, I remember when I was a little boy, my father would send me to the door at the end of the meal here in the fourth cup and to see if Elijah had come. And every year I, I, I would look to Elijah. And I'd come back and say, you know, Abba, no, he's not here. Dad, he's not here. I think he's not here. <laughs> and so it became Elijah's cup as we recognized Elijah had not come. Elijah, therefore, would not be just preceding the Messiah, the Prince of Peace. And therefore, we would not have that peace with God. We would not come to the place of peace, Yerushalayim, city of peace. And we would end with a lament. L'shana haba be'Yerushalayim. Next year in Jerusalem. Next year. Why next year? Because for those that only know tradition and have not yet placed their faith in the trust that in the truth that God has made and trust in His truth, this seat is a reminder of an empty heart still awaiting one who has already come. And so the encouragement at this cup is to be able to look to Him, to trust in Him. And therefore have that peace that surpasses all comprehension. Forgiveness of sins, eternal life, and a relationship with the living God both now and forever. And so we want to take our fourth cup. You'll notice the blessing on page 29. This is so exciting for me. You see the blessing on the bottom of page 29, what it says there? Can you all see that? Let's read that blessing together. Here we go. I will, I will take, take you as my people. We're looking for the uppertaker. Mm -hmm. This is what Yeshua said when he said, I will not drink this cup with you again until I drink it with you in the kingdom. Mm -hmm. Oh, come quickly, Lord Yeshua. Mm -hmm. We are looking for you and we proclaim your death until you come. Oh, come quickly. And so we want to understand that we must do this quickly. We must trust in him now. No man knows the day or the hour. We cannot afford to have leaven in our loaves. And so let's lift this cup, if we will. Notice on page 31. Let's lift this cup together. And let's recite the blessing for one last time. Here we go. Baruch Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe. Creator of the fruit of the vine. Amen. Let's drink. Well, we who know the hope have a blessed hope. We have a blessed hope. Amen. And we would say, therefore, next year in the New Jerusalem. Amen. Come quickly. Come quickly. But in any case, we come to the end of our time together. Let's have a word of prayer, especially for those of us that may have some comments
some leaven in our loaves, some unconfessed sin. We may have need for forgiveness. We may not have that intimate relationship with God that he wants to have with us. Let's close with a word of prayer so we can handle this matter by trusting in Messiah. And if you're here and you have not yet trusted in him as your Messiah for his sacrifice, for your eternal life, that you might come to know and utilize this prayer. Not that a prayer could ever save anyone, but it will focus your faith on the Messiah, and that's what makes the difference. Let's bow our hearts to God. We close our eyes just to concentrate. Open your heart to God, if you will, and in your heart, repeat with me this simple prayer. Dear God, forgive me for my selfishness. Forgive me for my anger. Forgive me for my bitterness. Forgive me for my fears. Cleanse my sins away through the atonement of Messiah. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for saving me. And while everyone's eyes are bowed in prayer, I want to pray for you here in every room of this building, wherever you are. If you prayed that prayer to have Messiah come into your life this evening, right where you are seated, while everyone else's eyes are closed in prayer, right where you are, just raise your hand once, right where you are, just so I can pray for you, right where you're seated. Just raise your hand once, right where you are. Yes, 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 yes. Anyone else? Just raise your hand. I see several hands. Anyone else? Just raise. Yes, I see your hand. Okay, in the other room too. Yes, I see your hand. Yes, I see your hand. Very good. Anyone else? Just raise your hand once so I can pray for you in closing right now. Father, you see hands, you see hearts, you know us and you love us. Even now, confirm to our hearts through the Holy Spirit, through Ruach HaKodesh, confirm to our hearts not only the truth of your love, but the fullness of our salvation, that we might leave here as the heralds of the Lord to declare great news to a desperate world. Add your blessing to our consideration the evening, to the end that that name that's above every name, the name of Yeshua, would be exalted, lifted up, and magnified. For it's in the name of Yeshua HaMashiach that we pray. Amen and amen. God bless you all. For those of you who prayed with me and indicated as much, we have on the table some envelopes. Uh, uh, Gary, will you make sure of that? We have on the table some envelopes. And on those envelopes, you can fill them out and check off so we can keep you in prayer and help you to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord. But in any case, want to wish you a happy Pesach. 
May your, all your matzah be chocolate covered. God bless you. Shalom.
Thank you.